So check it out. I actually worked in Niles for about six years. And the reality is I lived about 35 minutes away, maybe 40. I lived in St. Joe. That's where I grew up, and that's where I resided when my wife and I first got married. But my first job out of school was right here in Niles, Michigan. And here goes the interesting thing, though. For the years that I lived in Niles, Michigan, you guys will not believe. You guys are going to be lying. That's preacher talk. I didn't recognize that we had a huge park here. I drove by it every single day and didn't notice that we had a park. And as my office was actually in this building on the third floor, we're going to come back to that in a second. But it's interesting the fact that all the restaurants that are close by, you know, the Nugget was there. I knew about the Nugget. I knew about the Hobnob when it was downstairs. But the Paris was just on this side. And because I came this side and I parked in the parking lot over there, I never knew that the Paris ever even existed. For six years, I walked into this place in and out. And then in 2009, my wife and I decided to move to Niles. And we spent about a year here. And it was ridiculous for us to take a walk one day and say, oh, my gosh, there's actually a beautiful park here. What? How did we miss this? How did I come here all the time? How did I drive past that park and was so oblivious that it was right here, right when you're driving into town? You can be so close, but you yet totally just miss the whole point. And you know, in, in college... Um, Christine, uh, we were having this conversation in the car. She was like, I'm, I'm sick of you telling people that you, I saw you and it was love at first sight. Because I didn't even notice you. That's a lie. You did notice me. But for all these years, Christine and I hung out around the same circles. We crossed paths and she told me she didn't notice me. I mean, come on guys, look, I got a picture from college. Check this picture out right quick. This was me in college. Come on, how can you not? It was suns out, guns out, right? Y'all don't believe me. See, why is it when I show people this picture, nobody believes that that's me? It's ridiculous. But she was so close to me, and she didn't notice that goodness right there. You could be so close and totally miss the whole point. I'm glad you didn't miss it, baby. You finally got it. But my... Six-year-old son, Elijah, who's sitting in here in service with me today, I'm hanging out with him the other day, and he's playing with my hands. And he grabs my hands, and he pulls them open. He's like, Dad, what's that? Like, what do you mean with that? what's that? And he notices this little scar on my hand. And he's like, Dad, what's that, what's that from? And the interesting thing is when I was about six years old, my parents had this shed in the back that was built of brick, Right? And so uh, they had broken it down because they wanted to rebuild. We had eight dogs, so they wanted to build a really nice kennel for the dogs. And so they had crushed it all up, and we had a lot of land. And you guys remember, like, they're bringing it back now, but when Sprite bottles had, uh, uh, came in glass bottles, right? And so, like, us unruly kids would take glass bottles and, like, would throw them, and we're like, and we would be so excited. The things that make kids happy. We're breaking all this glass, and then one day I totally forget that there's glass bottles everywhere broken up. And so I begin to climb these rocks, and I slip, and one of the pieces of glass goes right through my finger. It lacerated my finger so bad, and we went to the uh, doctor, we went to the hospital, and they said, we need stitches. And I was like, no, I'm a man. I don't need stitches. 
I'm scared of the needle, but that's besides the point. Still don't like needles. But my son, who I had been with for the first one and a half years of his life, Christine worked full-time, I worked full-time, but my job allowed me the opportunity to be at home with him. I wiped his ungrateful behind, and he never noticed my scar. I fed this little kid while he threw up all over me, and these same hands that fed him never once did he notice that I had a scar on my hand. It took him six years. We can be so close, but yet miss the point. We could be so close and yet just miss the whole thing. But this is what I came to tell you. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. So today we're going to be in a text in the book of Luke. In chapter 24, and the awesome thing is that we've got uh, the slides on the screen. We don't need to go ahead and go there yet. But I just want to tell you a little background about the story uh, that we're going to go through in Luke. So the situation is uh, Mary and some of the other ladies who were hanging out with Jesus, who had walked and talked with Jesus, they, they were there at his crucifixion on Friday evening. And because it was their Sabbath, they really couldn't do anything with the body. So once they put Jesus' body in the tomb, they needed to go back to the tomb and go embalm it because in back in the day, I mean, there was no embalming fluid. You weren't in a coffin, so your body was going to start to rot, and it's going to be a crazy stench. So her and her girls, Mary and the homegirls, decide to go and anoint Jesus' body. Now, the crazy thing happens when they get to the tomb, the tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away, and this miraculous sight shows up, and there's this angel that's sitting there, and he's like, "Uh, what are you looking for? She's like, well, where have you taken him? Where have you taken our Messiah? Where have you taken Jesus? And he's like, lady, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And some of us need to ask this question this morning. Why are we looking for living situations in dead places? in dead relationships, in dead jobs, in dead religion, or bad religion, as we call it. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? But I've got something to tell you, he says. He's risen. Jesus is alive. He's already gone forward, and so she runs back, and she goes and tells a bunch of people. But the crazy thing that I want to know is, what does Jesus do on the day of his resurrection? What would you do if you had been dead three days and you rise from the dead, John? I'm pretty sure we would be hitting up Facebook. I'm pretty sure we would be throwing a party. I'm pretty sure we're telling everybody, tell your mama, tell your kids, tell your auntie, tell everyone that I'm alive. I'm here. I'm on the spot. But Jesus does something different. And this is where we catch him. He decides to not go to social media. He decides to not throw a big party for himself. He decides to go on a journey. And we find this journey in the book of Luke, beginning in verse 13. It says, that very day, two of them, we don't even know who them are. They don't even give them a name at this point. It's just two of them. 
we're going to a village named Emmaus. And historians have looked for the city. They know it existed. His, history says it existed. But the crazy thing is that this place, no one can actually pinpoint where it is. A lot of places in Scripture, you can find like, oh, this is modern-day Turkey. This is where this is. This is where it was. But this place, uh, Emmaus, is nowhere to be found. They don't exactly know where it was at. And it is interesting that Jesus Christ, on the day of his resurrection, decides to go to an insignificant place that wouldn't even be remembered in history with a bunch of no-name guys who we don't even know about right now. He says, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. They're moving away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the cultural epicenter. Jerusalem was the place that Jesus told his disciples before he died, go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come to you. You're going to be my witnesses. It's going to be great. You're going to be filled with the glory of God. Go to Jerusalem. It's happening right now. And there was just a big cultural event that had just taken place. So everyone who was somebody was in Jerusalem. And if I was one person who believed in Jesus Christ, I would want to be in Jerusalem because I want this Holy Spirit that he's talking about. I want to be where he's at. But they decide to walk away, and now they're headed seven miles out. They're on a journey. They're talking about something. They're talking about all the things that happened. They're talking about how depressed they were that Jesus Christ had died, how all of their hopes were gone. They're talking about how just they brutally killed Jesus, and now everything that they had hoped for is falling apart. And now they're walking away because they're sad. There's their disappointment. There's, there's all this pressure on them, and they're just walking away. Disappointment will lead to desertion, wouldn't it? Marriage not going well. Well, I guess we can just call it quits. School's going tough. Well, maybe I can just drop out. Business isn't going well. Maybe I just need to be in a new space. We're so quick to give up when disappointment comes. We're so quick to walk away from everything that Jesus has for us just because we're a little sad. They've turned their back on the hope that was in Christ, and now they're headed to some insignificant place. And many of us in here are walking down this road and we're headed away from everything that Christ wanted us to have, everything that Christ had for us. But aren't you so glad that we serve a Jesus that it, whether you walk away from Jesus doesn't mean Jesus won't chase you down. The story said he showed up while they were walking away. Jesus should have gone to Jerusalem and said, hey, I'm back. But he hung out with some insignificant people headed to some insignificant town. Walking away from Jesus doesn't mean Jesus is not going to chase you down. In this building, on the third floor, in the elevator, I told Jesus back in 2009, I will never be a pastor. You can get that out of your holy mind. Surprise. Jesus will chase you down. He cares that much. Verse 17 through 24. 
And he said to them, so check it out. Verse 16, it says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. What are you being kept from recognizing in your life? Let me just ask that question to you. So many times we fill ourselves with so much stuff. What's in our lives right now? Have you ever just stopped and said, what am I not recognizing? What am I not seeing? When the disappointment and discouragement comes, have you ever just said, am I just so self-absorbed that maybe I'm not just seeing something? That was a free one, sorry. It wasn't my notes. Verse 17 through 24, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with, with each other as you walk? And they stood there looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas. So now we get the wind of who this guy is. Oh, Cleo. Oh, Cleo. What does old Cleo say? Cleo answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there, there in these days? And look at Jesus. Jesus is funny, right? What things? Huh. So you say. And isn't it crazy that Jesus will ask you questions that he knows the answer to because Jesus cares? Jesus just allows us to vent. Like Jesus says, I'm a big God who can take your frustrations. Come just talk to me. You may be mad at me right now. Just come talk to me. Things may not be going the way you want it. Just talk to me. What things? And so they begin to spout off everything that's happening. Have you been under a rock, dude? Because they don't know he's Jesus, right? Dude, this, this man named Jesus, he walked and talked on this earth, and he taught, and he did all these miracles. And Jesus is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, interesting. Sounds like a pretty cool guy. And he walked around and he told people who he was. They said he was God. And some people said he was just a prophet. Some people said he was a good man. Some people said this and they said this and they said this. But he said he would die. And then on the third day, he would rise again from the dead. And it's the third day now. And some women, uh, some uh, girls in our party, some of our friends said, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And uh, we don't even know what to think about that. Some of our friends went to the tomb. They went to check on him. He's talking about Peter and John. And they said, they didn't see Jesus there. And they're talking to Jesus about Jesus. And he's sitting there, and you can tell they don't buy the story themselves. He's right there. He's talking, he's talking to them. The Jesus that they're just talking about. He's right there, so close. Have you ever had someone talk about you in your presence like you weren't right there? And don't we do that to God sometimes? You know, I thought God would do this for me, and God disappointed me because he was supposed to protect me, and God didn't do this, and God didn't do that. And all the while, he's standing right there with you like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm." you know I'm right here, right? You know I'm a big boy. I can take that. How, how, how many faiths, how many religious faiths where the God says, come, let us reason together? Let's talk about it. He sits there and he's talking to them and they telling him all that had happened. And you can tell in them that they don't believe it. And isn't it awesome? Aren't you glad that lack of faith 
is not an obstacle of God's grace. Just because you don't believe doesn't mean he's not willing to show you. Just because you don't believe doesn't mean he's still not going to show up. Jeez, I just can't get away from this God thing. Everybody around me, people at work talking about God. My wife's talking about God. My spouse is talking about God. When I'm driving, I almost get into an accident. Oh, my God. Lack of faith is not an obstacle of God's grace. Verse 25 through 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus calls them on their lack of faith. See, that's the beauty about Jesus. He doesn't leave us where we're at. We may not believe, but he will call us on our lack of faith. But this is the coolest thing about this Jesus, about this man that we so revere, this hope of the world. He begins to break down scripture and takes it back from the beginning, the elementary foundations of their faith. He starts way back in the Old Testament and starts talking about all the prophecies and everything that has been prophesied about Jesus Christ. And the beauty about it is he meets them on the journey as they're walking back to Emmaus, not when they've arrived, but while they're on the journey. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't wait for us to get it? He comes along with us on the journey. He walks with us and talks with us. Maybe Christianity is not about arriving to some place, and it's about what you're learning on the journey. Maybe it's not about reaching this place where you're like, hey, I got it. I, I, I can figure everything out. I can explain everything. Maybe it's about just taking one step. One step in front of the other. Jesus, let's just talk about it. You don't have to know everything. Let's just talk about it. You don't have to make sense of why she left you. You don't have to make sense of why he did that to you. You don't have to make sense of why it failed. You don't have to make sense of why you feel this way or why you're sick. Just walk with me. A lot of times I think us Christians uh, put this uh, thing over uh, everybody else. Like you're supposed to know everything when you walk in the door. We look at each other like, don't you understand? Why don't you get it? Why don't you change? Don't you just understand what's going on? And Jesus says, no, I just want you to walk with me. Maybe Christianity is not about whether you've arrived. It's about what you're learning on the journey. Verse 28 through 31. It says, so they drew near to the village which they were going. He acted as if he were going further for it was toward evening and the day is now sorry excuse me he acted as if he were going further verse 29 but they urged him strongly saying stay with us stay with us 
But it was toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. This word that they used about him, them urging him to stay, this wasn't like you're hanging out, and it's getting late, and one of our friends, Kim, she's so awesome, Pastor Derek's wife, if we're hanging out at the house late, she's like, why don't you guys just sleep over? Sleep over! We've got another room. Just hang out with us. This word urge was not like that. It means to forcibly cause somebody to not move, to stop doing what they were about to do. They held on to him and they said, stay with us. They urged him and said, we, we may have arrived on the journey, but we still need you here with us. And that's the beauty about our faith. It doesn't matter where you've arrived or what point of the journey with you, uh, you are. Are you asking Jesus, just stay with me? Stay with me. I love your presence. I love you being here. I'm learning something. Just stay with me. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. So when you invite somebody over for dinner, you're going to serve them, right? They're not going to come in here and do anything. Come on, I invited you for dinner. Let me serve you. But Jesus comes in and immediately takes control. And let me tell you about something about Jesus. When Jesus comes into your life, let me tell you what. He wants total control. He said, trust me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. Let's talk about it. But let me be in control. Jesus comes in and he says, I'll serve you. And he takes the bread and he breaks the bread. And I'm pretty sure as he's breaking the bread, something is happening inside of them. And this kind of reminds us of what he did with his disciples when he, before he went to the cross. The story tells us that he sat in the upper room with them and he broke the bread. And he told them, this is my body that's being broken for you. And he gave them the wine that says, this is my blood that's being spilt for you. I'm going to the cross for you. And I'm going to be resurrected for you. And so just think about it. Now Jesus is taking the bread. Look what it says. Verse 31. And their eyes were opened. So he's breaking the bread. And he's handing it to them. What do you think they're seeing now? What do you think they're seeing now? They're seeing the scars. They recognize. It says their eyes were now open. Close proximity brings about clear perspective. Go ahead and stand with me. Close proximity brings about clear perspective. Jesus got close to these insignificant people going to an insignificant place. And when they had recognized uh, that there was something about this guy that they wanted to have around, they said, stay with me. They had gotten to the end of their personal journey and they said, now as we sit here, we want you to stay with us. I want to challenge you with this. 
The end of your journey is the beginning of your clarity. When you stop making it all about you, when you start stop making it about what I've got to understand and what i got to figure out, and this doesn't make sense, when you just get to the end of the journey and you just say, stay with me, that becomes the beginning of your clarity. The Bible says all he wants is a humble heart. Somebody who's willing to say, I don't got it all. I don't understand everything. It doesn't all make sense. I can't figure it out. Stop trying to figure it out before you get up. Ask him to stay with you. Because he will be with you and he will reveal all things to you as you get going. Everybody close your eyes. If you're in here and maybe you've been on a journey on your own and you've been trying to do things by yourself and you've been trying to make sense of even your faith by yourself and you're trying to rationalize and you're trying to figure out why things are happening in your life and you're saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm done. My journey is over. I want you to stay with me. I need clarity. I need you to open my eyes. I just want you to shoot your hand up while all the eyes are closed. If you've gotten to the end of your journey and you're tired of trying to walk this life by yourself and you want Jesus to just come into your heart and you want him to stay with you, you want him to open your eyes, this is all I want you to say. Everybody in here, open my eyes. Stay with me. Stay with me. I'm ready for the journey.